Thank you, Steve, for your kind words. We have been good friends for well over 25 years. Remember some of those great uh, meals at that fish restaurant in Carlsbad, California that we had? And uh, I just am really honored to come and share with your congregation today, Steve. You've done a yeoman's job here in Omaha, and uh, I'm proud of you. I used to come to Omaha relatively frequently because my father was a pastor here. Uh, he retired here in 1981 at Community Bible Church on Q Street. And a few of you have been his parishioners back in those years. And I joyfully met some former parishioners from St. Louis, the Ports down here, Bob and Susan Port, and, and uh, Rod and Connie Lusk were here, and Bill and Mary Bauhart were uh, parishioners of my father's, so it's kind of a good homecoming today. And I've so appreciated Rob and the team that led worship today. I just met Rob for the first time, but we both grew up in St. Louis, and I learned this morning that he and I have a lot of mutual friends in St. Louis, people that we have known for many years. And, and Tim, I met Tim Wiebe this morning, and Jeff. Uh, what a great team you've put together here, Steve, and uh, God has blessed you richly. I understand you've been solving equations in this current series, and since I was a math major, uh, I resonated with that. And uh, with the help of the ministry team here, we put together an equation for today based upon our scripture text, which is uh, Colossians chapter 3, 20 to 21. If you want to open your Bibles, we are going to read that brief passage, or it will be on the screen for you. Here's what the Lord says to us this morning. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. The equation that we came up with, uh, and put on the board here, is O plus E equals arrows on target. Obedience plus encouragement equals arrows on target. Now you know where the obedience and encouragement came from. It came right out of this text. The arrows on target come from a related text in Psalm 127. Many of you are familiar with that beautiful psalm. I want to read uh, the first verse of it and some of the later verses in that psalm. It says, unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend, I think that's supposed to be contend, with their opponents in court. Bible scholar Martin Lloyd-Jones said of Colossians 3, 18 to 21, which is Steve's passage of last week, mine of this week, these words, the failure to understand and implement the truth of these verses is the cause of most of the problems in the world today. Now that's a strong statement, but I do not believe it's an understatement. And if I thought any of you doubted the sorry state of the American family, 
uh, I would spend a lot of time giving you some of the unbelievable statistics about dysfunctional families and couples living together and babies born out of marriage and abortion and single parent homes and crack babies and child abuse. But we don't need to be convinced, do we? What we need today is to hear some answers and solutions from God's word. Sometimes we get the strange notion that home is where we can let our hair down and be our normal rotten selves. But that's not God's view. God tells us that marriage is the divine picture of Christ's relationship with his church. And the family is the divine incubator for rearing godly children. Last Lord's Day, you examined God's will for Christian husbands and wives. Steve, it was a great message. It really ministered to my heart. I listened to it online. And if you didn't get to hear it, I would encourage you to get online and listen to that powerful sermon. Today, we get the privilege of looking at what God says to Christian children and parents. I'm aware that this is undoubtedly a difficult topic for some of you. Some of you have deep emotional scars that were inflicted by your parents. Some of you would like to be parents, but you're single or you're childless. Some of you have lost children, and many of you have lost parents. Perhaps some of those losses hurt even more deeply because there was unfinished business between you. No doubt some of you are right now today undergoing trauma with your kids or kids with your parents or both for those of us that are in the sandwich generation. My, my prayer is that for the next half hour we will look forward to what God wants to do to heal the pain, to um, to forgive the mistakes that we are willing to acknowledge and to help us impact the next generation, our own children, our grandchildren, our nieces and nephews, the children in the church, even the children in the neighborhood. I also want to make it clear to you that I do not come to you today as an expert on this topic. Steve didn't invite me here because my children are all brilliant, good-looking, and well-behaved. They are, but that's not why he invited me here. Now really, I only have two children. I have two sons. My oldest son, Eddie, uh, was adopted when he was 13 days old. We had tried to have children for seven years, and Eddie was a great gift to us. He is the father of, uh, of four children. He's a businessman, a good husband, lives in Bentonville, Arkansas. When Eddie was uh, 13, we had the surprise of our life. For after 19 and a half years of marriage, we experienced our first pregnancy. Uh, the story is really stranger than that. I had four men on the staff, counting myself, who uh, had no children. Um, there was 53 years of childless marriage between the four of us. And uh, within 60 days, we all had our first natural-born child. Someone put a sign over the drinking fountain next to the <laughs> church office. Drink at your own risk. Well, Andy 
is now 28 years old. He's an engineer, father of two, uh, and a delightful young man. One of our sons was a world-class compliant child. I've often said that if he put all the trouble he ever gave to us into one day, it wouldn't reach till noon. Our other son was a terror on wheels from the get-go and remains challenging to us even to this day, though I love him deeply. Guess which is which? Our adopted son is the compliant one, and our natural-born son, the challenging one. My mother says she understands that completely. <laughs> we are very grateful that our two sons married believers. They both are involved in evangelical churches. They're both good husbands and fathers, but they're not perfect. And my wife and I spend a lot of time uh, praying together about their priorities, about their marriages, about their careers, and certainly praying for our grandchildren. Now the reason I share that with you is to tell you that I don't see Colossians 3, 20 to 21 as some simple formula that I've conquered and uh, to tell you that it's easy to do yourself. But I do believe it is God's truth. And I do believe that to the extent that we apply Colossians 3, 20 to 21, our homes will be happier, considerably more peaceful and productive than they ever could be otherwise. First, our passage offers a word to the children, and that word is obey. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Now, the fact that Paul addresses the children means to me that they were probably in the worship assembly with the adults when he wrote his letter to be read in the church at Colossae. As far as I know, this is the only commandment addressed only to children in the scriptures. And so I invite the children to listen carefully today. But I also invite their parents to listen to this portion because we parents are given the responsibility to try to ensure that our children do what God commands here, and it is obey us. Few children find obedience to be their natural inclination. Uh, they are inclined to um, push the boundaries very early in life and to keep pushing, which shouldn't surprise any of us because we are all sinners by nature and by choice. So while God is addressing the children, he's also addressing all of us here this morning. First question I'd like to ask of this verse is to whom exactly is it addressed? Is it addressed to toddlers, to preschoolers, or to uh, grade school kids, or to teenagers? Um, what about young adults who have failed to launch? I believe it probably applies to all children who are living in the parents' home and who are receiving the basic necessities of life for their parents. Now, the expectation of obedience is going to look different for a toddler than for a college student. Uh, when the toddler challenges the parent about something he's asked to do and says, why? I think it's legitimate for parents on occasion to say, because I said so. 
But when dealing with a teenager, it's appropriate to give them explanation and reasoning. But all children should acknowledge the authority of the parents in the home. And even after a child marries and leaves the home, I'm of the opinion that he should still continue to honor his parents and consult them. Uh, he will be much the wiser for it. Now certainly, the, uh, excuse me, there are homes and even within the church where it seems like the parents are obeying the children. The children get everything they want, they back talk with impunity, and um, the parents are at their beck and call. I want to say to you this morning that I think a parent, uh, rather a child-centered home is not God's will, it's not biblical, and it is uh, not healthy. Consider with me a second question about this command, and that is, how far does it extend? The passage says to us, children obey your parents in everything. Does that mean I have to obey them when they tell me when to come home and to clean my room and, and to quit pestering my sister and to turn off the iPad and uh, do my homework and uh, eat my Brussels sprouts? Um, I'm not so sure about the Brussels sprouts. I hate Brussels sprouts. But yes, even when your parents tell you to eat your vegetables. Um, the only exception that I know about in Scripture is when your parents tell you to do something that God tells you not to do. Acts 5.29 says we ought to obey God rather than man. And that applies even in the home. Not only are children to obey their parents in everything, they are to obey their parents, plural, father and mother. It is not right when a child plays parents off from one another, takes advantage of the mother when the father is unavailable or out of town. God does not allow that. Well, where did Paul get the idea that children should obey their parents? He got it from the Ten Commandments. The fifth commandment that God himself wrote on tablets of stone with his own finger says this, Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. That commandment was written almost 3,500 years ago, but it's older than that. It goes back to creation. I think Moses just received it in print. It was actually written on human hearts, according to Romans chapter 2. The law, the basic law of God, is written on our hearts. Children know innately that they should obey their parents. This commandment is bedrock for human civilization. The use of the term honor there in the fifth commandment throws light on what Paul means when he tells children to obey. It's technically possible for a child to do what a parent asks, but to do it with complaining and to, to be pouting, that is not honoring the parent. That is not what Paul is talking about here. Uh, perhaps you've heard about the little boy who was put in the timeout chair, and he said to his mother, I may be sitting down on the inside, but I'm standing up, excuse me, on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. That is not honoring the parent. That's not 
biblical obedience. And why should children obey and honor their parents? I know of at least four biblical reasons, starting with this verse, Colossians 3.20. It says, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. If you children desire to please God, and I think most Christian children do, the best way to do that is not to witness to your friends at school and attend every youth activity at church. It's not to uh, uh, be kind to your friends. The, the best way to do it is to simply obey your parents. But, but obedience is not only pleasing to God, it's also right. There's a parallel passage in Ephesians 6, which Paul also wrote to children. He said, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. It's the appropriate thing. It just makes sense. After all, you owe your very existence to your parents. Or if you were adopted, you were specially chosen by your parents. Your parents love you more than anyone. I know once in a while you doubt that, but you shouldn't. They love you more than anybody. Your parents are older and wiser and have more experience than you have. Someone has said that there are three stages in a man's life. The first is, my dad can whip your dad. The second stage is, oh dad, you don't know anything. And the third stage is, as my father used to say, and young people, you will get to that third stage quicker than you realize. Third, it will make your life more pleasant. Ephesians 6.3 offers this additional motive, that it may go well with you. I ask the children a question here. Would you like your life to go well? Would you like to have lots of friends, make good grades, have a good career, eventually marry and have your own family? Um, then obey your parents now. I don't think this is an uh, uh, ironclad promise. I think it's a biblical principle. And I really th think what it means to us is that your life will certainly be more pleasant if you obey your parents than if you don't. Let me ask another question of the children. Would you like to live to be a ripe old age? Say we'd like to live to be 80 or 90 or even 100 years old. I read a sage the other day who said a lot of people say they don't want to live to be 100, but then they're not 99. I think deep down all of us would like to live as long as possible. And I would say to you this morning that you will live longer if you obey your parents. This also comes from Ephesians 6.3. Honor your father and mother that it may go well with you and that you may live long life on the earth. You know, when people get really old, sometimes people ask them, uh, to what do you attribute your longevity? And I've heard people respond, well, uh, I never smoked, or I always ate a good breakfast, or I worked really hard. Um, I asked my grandfather that once. I had a wonderful grandfather who meant so much to me. He was born 14 years after Lincoln was assassinated. 
and he lived to see man walk on the moon. Can you imagine how life changed in his lifetime? And he attributed the fact that he lived well into his 90s, and Grandma lived to be 99, to the fact that he ate Limburger cheese, and he rarely took baths, and never used soap. I don't know if you know what Limburger cheese is. My grandfather was a full-blooded German. It smells like rotten feet. And I think he probably was right, because people who eat Limburger cheese and don't take baths find that other people don't want to spend much time around them, and therefore they don't pick up a lot of germs. My grandmother had a solution for the cheese. She, meant she made him keep it in the outhouse. That's the honest truth. But I don't know if I've ever heard anyone give this biblical reason why they lived a long life, that they obeyed their parents. Paul, again, found this truth in the fifth commandment, where God said that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Clearly, that was a promise to Israel, that they could live a long time in the Holy Land if they obeyed their parents. Paul broadens it and applies it to all of us and says this is a truth for all of you, and it has to do with your long life here on God's earth. You know, every police officer and every prison guard will tell you that there is a direct correlation between rebelliousness in the home and crime on the streets. How many young people who started with petty disobedience in the home graduated to full-fledged delinquency and lost their lives in a drug overdose or committing some crime. If you want to live long, start by obeying your parents. And once again, this is not an ironclad guarantee. All of us know children who were obedient, who died of cancer, or died tragically in an accident. And we all know disobedient children who lived a long time. I think what Paul is saying, that all the things being equal, and they aren't always, but all their things being equal, you will live longer if you're an obedient child than you will if you're disobedient. Have you ever noticed how balanced the scriptures are? When God speaks of divine sovereignty, almost immediately, sometimes in the same verse, he'll talk about our human responsibility. If he's addressing the issue of faith, he will talk about the need for good works. If he's talking to men, he will immediately speak to the women. And here, after speaking to the children, he immediately turns to their parents. And he has a word for the parents, and that word is encourage. Before we look at verse 21, I want to take you back to Steve's message of last Sunday, which I was really blessed by, listening to it on, on, online. If you missed it, please go back and... Listen to it again. Um, in addition to what he told us, I have this point to offer you. And that is that the best thing you can possibly do for your children, even more than encouraging them, is to love your spouse. Take that command to heart. But in addition to that, Paul directs these thoughts to the parents. To love 
your children by not embittering them. Do not embitter your children, fathers, or they will become discouraged. The word for fathers here is sometimes used in Greek to refer to fathers and mothers. And I suspect that's what was intended here in this passage. But it may be that he wants to highlight the fathers because some special attention is needed to them. They, they tend to expect, expect more of their children, perhaps especially their sons. And I think fathers are not quite as good naturally at encouraging their children as are mothers. Well, what must parents, and especially fathers, not do? They must not embitter their children. Ephesians 6 adds they must not exasperate them. The King James Version speaks of not provoking them. I suspect there are some of you who don't quite understand this commandment. Think that Paul should have reversed this. He should have said to the children, do not exasperate your parents. Uh, but friends, this is how God puts it to us. One cynic even claimed that the only reason children are so happy is that they don't have any children of their own to drive them nuts. But God says to us that we should not exasperate or embitter or provoke our children. He speaks in the present tense there, which I think is not speaking of some occasional mistake a parent makes, but a pattern of behavior that creates anger in the child and embitters the child. That's what we are being warned about. I believe this is principally an argument against the abuse of parental authority. How do parents abuse their authority? I sat down and made a list. This is a partial list I'll give you. Nagging, inconsistent discipline, favoritism, blaming while never praising, making promises and not keeping them, overprotection, making light of problems that seem huge to the child, discouragement, ridicule, humiliation, neglect, physical cruelty, cutting words, unreasonable demands. Any parents who've escaped entirely yet? We could go on, you know. I want to pick out a couple of these items. We don't have time to deal with all of them and talk about them in particular. Many parents don't realize how devastating favoritism can be to a child, especially when the favorite one is, is a brother or sister. It exasperates a child. It embitters a child. Do you recall the story of how Jacob played favorites in his family. He had 12 sons. Uh, he had a favorite son, and that was Joseph, who was given a coat of many colors. Jacob didn't even try to hide his favoritism. It says to us in Genesis 34 and verse 7 that uh, when his brothers saw that their father loved Joseph more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a word to him, a kind word to him. And the result was that the ten older brothers took their younger brother and sold him into slavery. Who was responsible for that? Obviously those boys were responsible, but Jacob was responsible too. 
probably more so than his sons. And Jacob didn't learn his lesson even after he lost his son. Years later, his eldest son Reuben came to Jacob and said, I need for you to send your youngest son, Benjamin, my brother, to Egypt because the prime minister wants to see him in order to give us food. And Jacob refused. He refused and said this, My son will not go down there with you. His brother is dead. That is Joseph. He thought he was dead. And Benjamin is the only one left. He says this to his eldest son. Reuben must have said to himself, well, what am I? Chopped liver? That's how his father was treating him. Friends, I have seen the devastating effects of favoritism in the family up close. I didn't experience it in my own family, but my wife did. Her mother clearly, without question, favored her brother over her. He, she favored her brother's children over our children. My mother-in-law has been gone now for five and a half years. But believe me, the pain remains. And uh, I hurt for my wife when I see what she has endured. Another abuse of parental authority that can embitter children is cutting words. How many in this room, I wonder, were wounded as children when a parent said something like, you'll never amount to anything or you're fat, or why can't you behave like your sister? That wound is still there, isn't it? Years and years later. I'll mention one other abuse of parental authority that might not normally be considered abuse, and that's overprotection. The reason we don't naturally think about that is because overly protective parents think they are loving their child more than other parents. But the fact of the matter is some of them never allow their child to grow up and to become independent. Uh, my father was a pastor for many, many years, as well as an educator. Before he came here to Omaha for his last pastorate at an evangelical Mennonite Brethren Church, he had been affiliated for 40-some years with another group called the IFCA, the Independent Fundamental Churches of America. They're kind of a a somewhat militant group and uh, pretty legalistic. In fact, uh, we used to nickname it the I Fight Christians Anywhere group, the IFCA. Uh, they had a long list of things that Christians didn't do. But my father never allowed the legalism of the denomination to come into our home. He gave me room to spread my wings, to make my own decisions. And I appreciated that so much. When I saw other children growing up in that movement become bitter and rebel and reject the church and walk away from God, um, that didn't happen to me or my siblings. Four of the five children in the family went into the ministry after my father. Three of us into the free church. And um, we did it not because dad expected it, because he made ministry attractive to us. Um, and all five children today are walking with the Lord. Now please don't ignore the fact that what Paul forbids here, that is exasperating our children, 
is a radically new perspective considering the time he lived in. In Roman society, children were the property of their fathers. Fathers could beat their children. Fathers could sell their children into slavery. Fathers could kill their children if they want, wanted to with impunity. But the Bible here views children not as the father's property, but as a heritage from the Lord. He views them as prized arrows in the father's quiver. What a, what a beautiful picture. And why must parents not exasperate their children? Because of what happens to them. They become discouraged. I have found in my counseling over the years a number of adults who have suffered severe, deep emotional problems that could be traced directly to the fact that their parents, and especially their fathers, caused them to lose heart. Many have confessed, I never got anything but put-downs from my father. Or, I can't ever remember my mother complimenting me about anything. Or, my dad never once told me he loved me. Isn't that sad? It's not that unusual, friends. John Newton, the great preacher who wrote the hymn, Amazing Grace, but who was a wicked man before he came to faith in Christ, said of his own father, I know my father loved me, but he did not seem to wish me to see it. Friends, when a child doesn't get ego strength and affirmation and encouragement that he needs at home from his parents, he will die on the vine or he will seek that ego strength somewhere else, often in the wrong places. Well, second, what must parents do? It's not enough to tell us what not to do. What good do we put in the place of the bad? Um, in the parallel passage in Ephesians 6.4, the positive sign, uh, side of parenting is stressed. And that is, instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. The King James Version says, bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Parents, I want you to listen to this. It's the most important thing I'll tell you today. The ultimate responsibility for the Christian education of your children does not belong to Brookside Church or to your youth pastor or to the Christian school that your kids may go to. It doesn't belong to the Christian camp. Sunday school may help you. Your youth pastor wants to be your, your, your companion in this process. Christian camp can mean a lot to children. So can Awana and all kinds of other ministries. But... The ultimate responsibility for rearing our children in the training and instruction of the Lord belongs to us as parents. That fact is clearly spelled out in an Old Testament passage, Deuteronomy 6, 1-8. Pastor Jeff preached that less than two years ago. I listened to those sermons. If you've forgotten them, go back to them and listen to them again. He preached on this text. I'll just read a couple of verses from it. Just after giving us the Ten Commandments, Moses 
said this, these commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. I impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. What he is saying is we must look for teachable moments, day and night, opportunities to talk to our children about the Lord and about a Christian worldview. And, and families, if dad can't do this because he doesn't know the Lord, or dad won't do it, then moms, you must do it. That's the saving grace in Timothy's life. Remember Timothy? Paul wrote two letters to Timothy. And in the second letter, in the first chapter, he says this about Timothy. Uh, it says it to Timothy, I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. Where was his dad? Where was his grandpa? I don't know. We're not told. But mom stepped in the gap. Grandma stepped in the gap and ministered to Timothy. And a little later, Paul says, from infancy, you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. My mom read to me from Edgar Meyer's Bible storybook. I knew every Bible story from heart by the time I was four, I think. And those stories have stuck with me through the years. It's just a tremendous heritage. Uh, the goal, of course, in rearing our children is that they come to that salvation. Jesus Christ died for them. He paid the penalty for their sin. But they must receive him personally if they're going to experience that wonderful gift that God offers. Well, no doubt, some of you are struggling, even here this morning, with your relationship with your children. And some of you children are struggling with your parents. I suppose that there are those here who are almost at your wit's end. You may be depressed. You may have given up. I beg you not to give up. As long as your parents are alive, as long as your children are alive, I urge you to make the most of the opportunities God gives you. To love, honor, and respect your parents. To obey, uh, excuse me, love, honor, yes, to obey your parents, also love and respect them, but to treat your parents as God wants you to treat them. You know, I believe God gave us the instructions here in these two verses for our benefit, so that our homes might function better and our lives be more fulfilling and our witnesses for Christ be more effective. But you can't do it on your own. You can do it with God's help. He's given you the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit to enable you to do what he commands. I want to pray for you as we close this morning. And I want you to pray for each other. I want to suggest, if it's not difficult for you, to take the hand of a family member next to you, a mom, 
a dad, a child. And I want us to have just a few moments of confession where we are honest with God about the mistakes we've made. He knows we've made them. You can't fool him. Confess those. Tell God you're sorry. And then I want to pray for us to have the strength to do better. Would you bow with me in prayer? Oh, Lord God, we come to you today as needy people. We need your forgiveness for the mistakes we've made and the sins we have committed and the good things we have omitted. We need your help to be obedient children. We need your help to be encouraging fathers and mothers. Most of all, we need your salvation, which you have freely given to all those who place their faith in your one and only Son, Jesus Christ, in whose strong name we pray.